Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. Welcome to the Peter King Podcast for a chilly mid-November podcast. And uh, there's a lot going on right now. So Miles Simmons and I are going to get into it in a moment. In a while, we're going to be joined by Rich Eisen. I actually recorded a conversation with Rich Eisen in Germany uh, a week and a half ago uh, while I was there for the Kansas City-Miami game on the 20th anniversary of NFL Network's birth. And uh, Rich Eisen has been with them every step of the way, so we'll get into that. Um, for this week, we are going to lead the podcast with basically the news of the week and what in the world is going on with the Buffalo Bills. So I'm going to be joined by Miles Simmons, uh, my pal from NBC Sports, and then uh, after we talk to Rich Eisen, we're going to talk about a lot of other things. Number one, Miles and I are going to pick our MVPs for the first half of the season. We're actually going to go one, two, three. And Miles is going to give you a fairly big surprise. Then we're going to talk about uh, C.J. Stroud and the surprising, equally surprising Houston Texans. And we'll go through some other events in the league that are going on right now. But uh, I think the the news that everybody is going to be talking about through much of this week uh, is what's going on in Buffalo. After the Bills had an absolutely disastrous Monday night game that ended with 12 men on the field and then handing the winning field goal uh, to the Denver Broncos in a 24-22 loss for Buffalo. Midway through uh, through Tuesday, uh, we get the news that Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, has fired his offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, who was a little bit under fire. And, Miles, I'm going to ask you this. Probably the greatest... You know, I'm not as big a fan of Twitter as I used to be or X, whatever it is now, but probably the greatest little six-second video clip in the history of X is going to turn out to be Ken Dorsey going bat crap in the coach's booth Monday night, captured up there for all to see. Uh, probably as crazy as I've ever seen a coach in a coach's booth go. 
And uh, and then 12 hours later, he gets his walking papers. And I'm not really sure why. It wasn't Ken Dorsey who had 12 men on the field for that field goal. And would you have fired Ken Dorsey if you won that game 22-21? Probably not. But Miles, your take on the firing of Ken Dorsey. I think desperate teams do desperate things. And this is a move that reeks of desperation. And, you know, you look at most major categories that uh, the Bills offense are in, they're in the top 10 in them, right? They're, I think, seventh in yards, eighth in points right now. But you look at what they've done over the last few weeks. They haven't scored 30 points. You have multiple turnovers in games that go back to, I don't know, week four, week five, and they've only had one game where they've not had a turnover and then one game where they only had one. And so I think that's part of it. And now coaches don't coach turnovers, right? And it's sometimes hard to coach the turnovers out of people, especially when your quarterback is throwing late from the hash to the opposite sideline. That's something that I am sure Ken Dorsey is not telling or was not telling is the case maybe now Josh Allen to do, but when you have problems where things don't seem cohesive offensively, you're really not getting things done the way that you need to. You know, you were in this game that was so tight against a Denver team that, yeah, they played better, but are they really all that good? Like, no. I mean, the, the fact that the Broncos had four turnovers and had an average drive start of their own 42 and still only put up 24 points. Like, what's really going on? Like, that's really not all that impressive from them. But taking everything together, you can get rid of Ken Dorsey, right? But the buck stops with Sean McDermott. You know, yeah, it does. They, they fired or soft fired or whatever happened with Leslie Frazier, right? Right at the start of the combine, we heard about that. So you change defensive coordinators. He's the, the defensive play caller. He's the one that decides to send an all-out blitz on two plays in a row after the first one works. And then the second one, well, yeah, they're more prepared for it. They lob the ball up to Russell Wilson to Jerry Judy. And, oh, by the way, you get a defensive pass interference penalty to set up the game-winning field goal that then you get the 12 men on the field for. So those things didn't have anything to do with Ken Dorsey. But I I understand that something needed to be done, but – is this going to be the thing that brings the Bills back into real contention now that Joe Brady is going to be calling the plays for him? I, Peter, I, I really don't know. I think the, I think the the thing about what has happened in Buffalo that, and you you sort of you brought in Leslie Frazier. I mean, Miles in the last nine months, the Bills have either parted ways or somehow, some way, Leslie Frazier left. It was described as a mutual parting. I don't know if I believe that, but whatever it was, it was. Their defensive coordinator is gone and their offensive coordinator is gone. And so, and and what I, what bothers me about the Dorsey dismissal And clearly, it was a dismissal. There was nothing mutual about this. What bothers me about it is that this game was lost on a total absolute bonehead play 
mm-hmm. in which 12 people were on the field for the field goal defense team. Now, as one coach texted to me this morning when I was trying to digest what exactly happened uh, in a game last night, and as one coach said to me via text today, there should be no dispute over which 11 players are on the field when the field goal block or field goal defense team is on the field. Everybody knows which 11 players it is. And and he said for something like that to happen, he said that just boggles my mind. Mm-hmm. When you think back at the end of this year, and this is my words now, not his, when you think back at the end of this year, I am going to think if the Buffalo Bills end up eight and nine, let's just say, I don't know what they're going to end up, but if they end up eight and nine, for instance, I would have said that team absolutely unequivocally was an idiotic, dumb, stupid play from being not on the last play of the game from being nine and eight. And there's no reason of all of the t- losses this year that teams have taken, that is the most stupid loss of all. And then the offensive coordinator gets fired. Look, <laughs> I just know this. I just know this. That if the Buffalo Bills continue down the path they're on right now, I don't see how Sean McDermott makes it into 2024. I don't either. I, I really don't either. And at that point, I, I think that that would be the right decision for the Buffalo Bills. And they do have time to turn this thing around. But when you look at where they're at right now and you look at how good the AFC is, Peter, I mean, they have five losses and all five losses are in the AFC. And if they do end up 10 and seven, which I think it at a minimum, it's going to take 10 and seven to end up in the postseason from right. the AFC. then having five losses in that conference is going to be a problem for them with the tiebreaker. So they already were kind of on red alert heading into last night. And to have a game with four turnovers that easily could have been five, by the way, if that ball does not miraculously bounce back up into Cook's hands so that he can continue down the field on a run. (laughs) I mean, that ball don't usually do that. When we're talking about, you know, things going up and hitting the turf and coming up against the rubber pellets and all that, that was something that was extraordinarily unexpected. So that's where it's like, okay, I understand that there were some changes needed offensively. I do. However, I don't know that this really is going to make everything that much better. I mean, Joe Brady has a history of coaching some really, really darn good players. We talk about going back to his time at LSU with Joe Burrow, with Jamar Chase, with Justin Jefferson. I think now that we see how great those three dudes are in the NFL, I mean, it would be kind of hard to screw that job up, right? But I'm sure that people could have if they were not calling those plays, you know what I'm saying? But You know, Brady didn't necessarily do the best job either with the Carolina Panthers. A lot of that, I think, has to do with Matt Rule. So we'll see what he can do. But again, is is a different play caller going to help a guy getting the ball ripped out of his hands on the first play? 
Is a different play caller going to help Gabe Davis not, you know, not corral a pass over the middle that's thrown right to his hands that then gets intercepted? You know, is the different play caller going to make Josh Allen not recklessly throw balls to the sideline? Like, I don't know if all of that's necessarily going to help, but I do understand the need to do something at this point to try to get this offense to where it can be more cohesive and where we can see Josh Allen be great. Cause right now he's just not. Let's set the stage miles for the Buffalo bills. The rest of this year. Okay. They've got seven games left. They sit here five and five. They got seven games left. Four of those games, four of those games. I'm just going to tell you right now, the four road games, the rest of the year at Philadelphia at Kansas City, at the Chargers, at Miami. And they've got Dallas at home. Mm-hmm. Against that schedule right there, they have to go 5-2 and two to have a decent chance to make the playoffs. It's not even a sure thing they'd make it if yeah. they go 5-2. and two. Yeah, But they're right now 5-5. Five and five, and, and Miles, I just want to say one thing about Josh Allen as we, as we sit here right now. Okay, so Josh Allen, to me, has been vaguely better, if at all, than early in his career. Just going to tell you, right now, in his first three years in the NFL, he played, he had 43 starts, okay? And he was 28 and 15. And his 43 starts in the last three years, he's 29 and 14. He's one win better. And he's better in touchdown to interception margin. However, he's thrown nine more interceptions in the last three years than he did in his first three. So I only tell you that because Josh Allen is a good player and a lot of teams would love to have him on their team. Mm -hmm. But Josh Allen, basically, in my opinion, that interception he threw before halftime last night, uh, Monday night, was an absolutely horrendous interception to throw. It wasn't as bad maybe as Mac Jones in Germany on Sunday, but it was close. <laughs> and and he is doing that too often, mm-hmm. and it bothers me too much. Maybe he feels the weight of a franchise on his shoulders. I don't know. But at some point, you know, we've heard the last two off se- the last uh, last off season throughout the off season. I got to be smarter. I got to stop playing hero ball. I got to stop trying to win all these games. I mean, I hear you saying it, and then you don't do it. So I I I think Josh Allen has gone from a no doubt top three or four quarterback in the league to I don't know right now if he'd be in my top five. Well, the other problem, Peter, I mean, when you just talk about the the turnovers generally, right? He has 14 turnovers this year, which leads the league and is two more than Mac Jones and Desmond Ritter, who are the two quarterbacks who had 12 and are tied for second place. That's so bad. That's yeah. so bad. I mean, and we have been discussing whether or not Mac Jones and Desmond Ritter should be benched. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to bench Josh Allen, but I am saying that when you have a quarterback that is causing this many possessions to end, that's an issue. It's a clear issue. And, and again, 
Josh Allen is leagues better than Mac Jones and Desmond Ritter. I don't think that that's in dispute, but what you cannot do is have a quarterback who turns the ball over like this and expect to win games. And I don't know, Peter, like I I think back to that 13 seconds game against Kansas city in the postseason. And do you think that that game might've in some way broken the bills because it was a narrative going into last year and then they still turned in a good season, but there are just things that really have seemed to linger from that time in January of 2022. I think you're right, Miles. And I'll just, I'm going to leave you with one thing because we, we have to get to our guest and then we've got to get to our second half. I don't want to dominate this with that. And you know, Hey, by the way, by the way, Hey, Denver Broncos. Nice job. Yeah, good job, nice Denver. Job. You yeah. got a two-game winning streak against two two teams that a lot of people thought might meet for the AFC Championship: yeah. Kansas City and uh, and and uh, uh, and Buffalo. And Buffalo. Yeah. So good for them. But I don't know. It just feels like I don't want to absolutely dominate this podcast with a black cloud. It's like Lucy pulling the ball away from Charlie Brown all the time. But anyway, be be all that as it may. I do want to just tell you one last thing. Last six games, Foes 129, Buffalo 123. They've been outscored. That's almost half a season. They have been outscored in the last six games by a touchdown totally. So, again, I don't want to totally make this a Debbie Downer, but it is a pathetic show by the Buffalo Bills and – I never thought it. I never saw it. I didn't think that their window was closing. I ridiculed people who thought that, but it looks like the window is on its way to slamming shut. Uh, listen, let's go to Rich Eisen, the maestro of NFL Network. We're going to get his view on the 20-year anniversary of the network. He's got one surprise, at least to me, about sort of the MVP of of NFL Network in their 20 years, or maybe not the MVP, but but one of the real key people. And, and uh, I thought it was somebody else. So anyway, let's get to Rich Eisen in our conversation from Frankfurt. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Back on the Peter King Podcast with Rich Eisen of NFL Network. And Rich, I appreciate you joining me on the pod as always anytime peter so i'm joining you actually on the 20 year anniversary to the day to the day 
that NFL Network was founded. Yes, sir. And I want to go back in time and Please. just say, mm-hmm. when NFL Network started and you were kind of the big hire at the time from ESPN, everybody uh-huh. said, what the heck is Eisen doing, doing yeah. leaving ESPN? Yeah. Do you remember that wave of thought in oh, the business? Absolutely, I do. Um, and I could tell you easily what it was. It was half of um, – thinking that um, I had graduated, for the lack of a better phrase, of doing solely Sports Center on ESPN um, and the management team there feeling different. And SportsCenter having changed from a show that went from um, what had happened and how it had happened to why something happened, because they assumed you'd seen everything already on the yeah. the uh, advent of phones and the burgeoning internet and things of that nature, so there were vi- and so the role of sports center anchor had been I guess diluted down to being um, uh, uh, a sports crossfire host. You know? Yeah, remember, yeah. remember that show? From oh CNN? yeah, yeah. So things had changed a little bit there, and I wanted to play around with the rest of the Disney toy chest that was beginning to really grow with uh, that company and everything else, and. So that was happening, and, and I was um, not really hearing what I wanted to hear, and that's how uh, I wound up with a, a cardboard box. And um, and at the time, Steve You Boyd, mean a cardboard box and taking your stuff out yes, of the sir. building? That's how I wound up with a cardboard <laughs> box. And, um, and um, thankfully, I was able to place NFL Network within that box, uh, thanks to Steve Bornstein, who I tell all the time um, how much I love him and how – uh, thankful I am for him and how smart he is to have hired me twice. Yeah. And, um, and so he had already left uh, the Disney World to go to um, NFL yeah. or, or the, the NFL and then helped uh, spearhead the, uh, the advent of, of NFL Network alongside of Commissioner Paul Tagliabu at the time and uh, also a handful of, of owners like Pat Bolin, uh, Jerry Jones, Bob Kraft, and um, the COO of the NFL Network at the time named Roger Goodell, yeah, who was um, terrific to me from, from the jump. Um, and the first time I, I met him, I remember exactly where it was, how it came about, and what he said to me, and how it all... What did he say to you? Well, um, it's funny. I got uh, a call, because I, you know, I was mostly a baseball guy at ESPN. Yeah, yeah. And um, I got a call from... Roger Goodell's office in the middle, I think, of July, because I got married in June of 2003. It's also my 20th wedding anniversary year. Mm. It was a wild time for me, PK. But um, so uh, I came back from my honeymoon. I'm, I'm getting set to go to Los Angeles, start house hunting. And uh, I get a call from, from Roger Goodell's office to say, you know, Roger would like to speak. And uh, I called Bornstein. I'm like, I just got a call from... Uh, um, somebody in the in, in NFL office, he goes, who? And I'm like, Roger Goodell. He goes, hang up with me and call him back. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I, I called him back, and he invited me to go play golf. And um, I remember going over the George Washington Bridge. I don't remember where it was, but we, we met the name of the place. But I remember exactly where I was. I was in a sand trap on 12, Peter. And um, as I was climbing out of it, Roger, had, after just – talking life and family and just hanging out in sports for about 12 holes. He finally gets to a little bit of business, which obviously was going to take his lead on bringing up. And he says to me, you know, we hired you to do a job for NFL Network based on what you've done at at ESPN, and we want that person. 
and we also know um, you know what you're about. So if you ever have anybody ever call you up and say, why did you say something? You shouldn't have said that. Why don't you say it a different way? If anybody ever tries to you know, basically edit you, now I'm paraphrasing. He didn't use yeah, that word. Yeah. But he said, call me. And that was all, that was the, um, that's what I wanted to hear. That's what I needed to hear. And I was thrilled that I got to hear it. And then obviously he's the man who winds up uh, becoming commissioner of the NFL. Um, so, you know, these are just some of the thoughts I have just from that one question alone yeah. 20 years later. Yeah. Tell me why at the time this was a, this was a cool opportunity for you. Well, again, just because everything that happened at ESPN and also, you know, um, just to move to Los Angeles. I mean, Steve Bornstein was explaining to me the idea that he had for the, the main um, tentpole show called NFL Total Access that he wanted to have it at um, 8 Eastern, 5 uh, Pacific um, to re-air at 11 Eastern because Steve, bless him, had East Coast feeds and Los Angeles, and he would watch late night uh, TV um, and late night hosts do their thing at eleven o'clock at night, but eight o'clock Pacific. Yeah. And he thought that there was there was a a prime time uh, audience for late night type television, and that's what he wanted me to bring to Total Access, not just news and information, but entertainment and you know a little bit of levity and comedy. He wanted the F and NFL to stand for fun too, which at the time I think you you. You could you could tell was a, a major issue for the NFL yeah, and yeah. and maybe even some parts today, but um, certainly more so twenty years ago. And so he wanted to have a celebrity element because it was out in Los Angeles. And I remember people were out there like the NFL's coming to LA. Why? There's no teams here. There hasn't been a team here. There'll never be a team here. Now the NFL Network has got a facility across the street from SoFi Stadium, home to two NFL teams. Yeah. And um, so. Uh, we planted a flag in Southern California, Los Angeles, Hollywood, if you want. And I, Steve kind of spoke my language about that. And um, and obviously the NFL is the cross-section of pop culture in a way that, that no other sport is or, or has been. And the, the largest um, export the NFL has, uh, the biggest show the NFL has, is stopped in the middle for a rock concert and nobody bats an eyelash. So it is truly a cross-section of pop culture, music, TV, movies, sports. And I saw that uh, 20 years ago, and I thought to myself, that's it. And I also loved the idea of moving to Southern California with my wife, who had spent some time there um, on the air for Fox Sports. So she knew the area. We had some friends. It, kind of, it was a total no-brainer and to work for Steve and plant a flag for the, for the NFL and be the advent of, of bringing the shield to so many different uh, new homes like I said, it was a no-brainer. In, in reality, there's really no reason why the NFL universe shouldn't mm -hmm. be New York, Mount Laurel, New Jersey, mm -hmm. exclusively. Right. Okay. And to me, I thought what was smart about going to Los Angeles is not necessarily the future of having teams there, but it's the entertainment capital. Yeah. So you should be there. You should build the NFL Network empire there. Yeah. You know, the studios there yeah. in that campus that you have there now. Mm -hmm. So back in 2004, was that 
kind of a dream? Oh yeah, or, of course or, it was. Or was it? Or did it seem like the impossible dream? No, it 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 was the dream. It was. Now to be straight up with you, because I always am, Peter. We we might have been in L.A. Um, largely because that's where Steve Bornstein had a house. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I've never really asked him that question, but yeah. it is potentially, you know, the case. But it was exactly what the NFL needed. I mean, what NFL Network needed as well, that our shop was separated by about 3,000 miles from, yeah. you know, headquarters where, you know, the COO at the time and Roger Goodell had a, a notion that some people might try to mess with the content. <laughs> before yeah. we even put a piece of content on the air. Yeah. So we were separated. And again, uh, the fact that there were no NFL teams and um, and passionate fan bases up and down the coast uh, from San Diego at the time all yeah. the way up to San Francisco and then up to the Pacific Northwest Corridor um, that needed to have some sort of bias put their way too. Yeah. Um, and then, um, again, the fact that we've we've – We've commingled the whole pop culture element to it. it was yeah. was great, and and then the, the things that that the NFL Network really brought to bear um, through Roger Goodell's sensibility with Bornstein too to reimagine things that the, you didn't have to do everything the same way every year. Yeah, uh, the draft Bornstein always was telling me we should be picking the first round on the primary night of television, Thursday night. Why are we doing it at noon on a Saturday? And then showing people falling asleep in the top section of Radio City Music Hall when there's only five people in the in the theater because it's the seventh round. Yeah. So why are we giving off visuals and energy that the seventh round is the time to fall asleep? It should be just as energetic as the first. And th- through various other reasons the two-day NFL-only draft becomes a three-day, two-night traveling road show throughout the entire NFL landscape. I I couldn't believe that if you told me that back in 2006 when we did our first in-person draft, um, the Combine, turning that into a television event that you know now, Peter, many coaches don't come to the Combine. Yeah for all four days because they can see it on yeah. NFL network. Yeah. So we have now changed the way coaches actually attend the combine. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, um, other networks want to get in on it. And um, so it's now a three network event for the draft and a two network event on occasion for the combine. Uh, the schedule release show was something we had tons of merciless fun made at our expense, like that we were, Making a the schedule release—the schedule release—it's outrageous that it's a TV show. Yeah, but it's kind of fun. Of course it is because it's, <laughs> it's another. First of all, any excuse that we in the media can have to talk football, we're going to yeah, take it. Yeah. At the time, though, people were like, "Wait a minute, you want to talk football?" You know, in early May or mid-April, just before the draft. Like, we're going to talk football two weeks for the draft. So why are we talking about that, you know, the Giants are playing the Packers on October 15th, like we have just reinvented the Atom, because the Packers have a fan base. We tapped into this. Mariucci, when he came aboard, was telling me this. The Packers have a fan base that will book hotel rooms every weekend of the NFL season 
And then when the schedule comes out, they will just cancel the weekends when the Packers are away. So they have a room for every game. And there are bar mitzvahs, weddings, confirmations uh, planned around the NFL calendar. There are trips when people are now – like uh, when an East Coast team goes to play Vegas or Los Angeles, people are like, you know what, let's just – in December, let's – take a week let's go travel let's make that our winter plan our winter break plan yeah. and 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 the nfl schedule release show we kind of tapped into that i think maybe accidentally just trying to create more things to yeah. to have the tent poles push up the right, tent right, for right. An, uh, an entire as we call it non-playing season yeah. so i'm going to give you my underrated nfl network person okay in the 20-year history, and then I'll okay. tell you why. Okay, sure. The underrated guy on NFL Network mm-hmm. in its history, to me, is Mike Mayock. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you why. Okay. Because everybody covers the draft. Everybody covers the combine. Everybody covers all that stuff. What I will never forget is one year sitting at home watching day three mm-hmm. of the draft whatever this might have been, 2013. I really – or of, I'm sorry, of the scouting company. Sure. Scouting company. Of the scouting company. And I'm sitting home, and I'm watching, and it's Saturday afternoon, and Mike Mayock spends seven minutes talking about the Cincinnati Bengals. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no particular reason why you would say, hey, let's talk about the Bengals. But then a half hour later, he spends seven minutes talking about the Indianapolis Colts. You know, who really cares about – but And then I find out, and I ask Mike about it, you guys would spend at some point mm-hmm. in the Combine coverage, Mike Mayock would dissect, and your whole crew would dissect a team. Yes. And I thought, that is important TV if you love the NFL. And I found myself, I wanted to make sure that then every year at the Combine, I would make sure that I was around a TV a lot of the times when I knew you were going to be doing that because I knew that Mike Mayock put the work in and knew the 53rd guy on the roster in the Bengals and everything about him. And I just, I think what you guys ended up doing both at the combine and about the draft was giving a depth of knowledge that really it's not, it wasn't available anywhere else, but it was just the best depth of knowledge out there well you know um when i hear you say that i agree that mayock um is a crucial member of our team um in its nfl network's infancy and ascension and you know maturation um because we needed independent voices in key positions yeah he was an independent voice at the key position that we didn't, when we came on the air, knew that we really needed. We're right. just, when we came on the air 20 years ago today, we just wanted to get through day one. Like it's a right. day to day league, yeah. and then it was a week to week league. And then we understood that we needed to look over the steering wheel um, and what comes next, and then make uh, an event out of the, non, the talent evaluation portion of the season. And Mayock, the reason why he was so important and the reason why he worked is because of you said he was a hard worker when you said that he was he knew the 53rd man on the roster i believe it's part because he used to be a 53rd man (laughs) on the roster and he was a guy who also in a way um was uh 
one of the many reasons why we love the NFL are stories of guys who work hard and make their own way and become successful on a roster or as a coach or whatever. He's a coach's son who, when he was out of football, was a salesman. And um, Steve Sable, he knocks on Steve Sable's door to NFL Films and says, you know, I have some, you know, how do I get involved in this business? And Steve Sable helped shepherd him in. And that's how we at NFL Network found him. He's working at NFL Films. And he comes aboard and starts talking about the 53rd man on rosters, but also the 200th guy on a, on a, on a scouting chart, uh, on a draft chart. And I just remember hearing him talk for the first time with that, you know, Philly accent. I'm like, this guy's magnetic. Like you can't, yeah. you can't take your eyes off of him because he's not only, you know, telling me something I don't know. He's saying with such conviction yeah. that I believe every word that he's saying. Yeah. And then when we started with the, you know, the talent evaluation portion and we're starting to do our draft coverage and he comes on the air and tells everybody in his mock draft that Aaron Rodgers was going to go not only not one, but fall all the way to the Packers at 24. And that happened was a eureka moment for our network that fans who saw it go, oh, wait a minute. Not only am I getting knowledge, but I can be smarter when I'm talking to other people by listening to him because he's right and he was right. And so for us to be as successful as we became, we needed to be as good in the non-playing season as we were when there were games yeah. being played. It's an excellent point. He was one of them, yeah. and Schefter was another. Yeah. You know, Adam Schefter coming aboard, um, and because we needed, again, that was our issue starting off. It's just like, so how are you not just going to be parroting the league um, talking points? Yeah. And so, you know, I'm hired, and I'm not going to parrot anything. Um, you know, I'll definitely be there to amplify what the league wants right. amplified. Clearly, this is the NFL network. Yeah. But uh, I thought I brought that there. But immediately, despite my seven years on ESPN, I was viewed as the NFL's guy, the company guy. So um, in comes Schefter, and he's now delivering news, beating everybody else at it yeah. frequently. Yeah. Um, and so now we're a source of information. Huge. Beyond Huge. Mayock comes in. He's now a source for information. You're not getting anywhere else. That was beyond huge. The advent of Thursday night football. I did go into Steve Bornstein's office when we got the, the advent of Thursday night and said, I want to call the games, which is kind of interesting. I'm standing here with you in Germany on the 20th anniversary getting set to call a game. Yeah. I've been wanting to do this for a long time. Yeah. You know, I've called several now for NFL Network up to this point, but at the time, zero. I didn't call an NFL game in my life, yeah. and I wanted to do it. And Steve Bornstein, typical of him, you know, immediately shot it down but and told me, you know, two things. You know, I got a booth in mind, number one. Number two, I need you to do your job because the pregame and halftime and postgame is just as important as the game. Yeah. And I appreciate him saying that. But, you know, the person he had in mind, because he needed a fiercely independent voice on our game package or voices that people would think – they don't want to watch a game saying they'll never criticize a coaching decision. Right. They'll never criticize an owner's decision. They'll never criticize a call by a ref ever. He puts Brian Gumble in the booth, who is the most fiercely independent voice, yeah. you know, maybe ever in our, in our business uh, with Collinsworth. So you put it all together, and those 
you know, um, hires from me in 03, Schefter, I believe, in 04 with Mayock, and then in 06, the advent of Thursday Night Football with those guys. It was incredibly important. But, you know, and, and I, Mike's here calling the game tomorrow for Westwood One, and I plan on seeing him tonight because I want to – I think it, of the people that I, I get to physically see on the 20th anniversary, um, he would be one that I would want to picture with because, you know, uh, we, we, we said – I mean, uh, I've, I've been the, the, <clears throat> the, the host of a, an NFL network draft coverage every year since '06. And uh, without him, uh, I don't believe the draft is as, coverage is as, as successful yeah. or as viewed because of him. He, I, I think he's rated, in my book, the way that you're talking about. Yeah, I really think he's good. Rich, I'm going to end with this. What's sure. the future of NFL Network? You hear a lot of stories sure. now about how maybe one of the existing networks might take it over or buy it or however that would right. work. but. What do you see over the next 10 years happening um, to the network? Well, to ask, you know, I, I have no idea about the ownership, the future ownership of NFL Network. I think the guy who's going to walk in the room next is the guy who would probably know a little bit better on that front. But um, to me, the answer is streaming. That's that's where our entire business is going. You know, there's NFL Plus that I know yeah. the, um, was created a couple of years ago and um, – and is being integrated more and more into the NFL media group, which it's now known, yeah. uh, plans. Um, the show that I do every day, uh, you know, you've been kind enough to be on and that my wife uh, guest hosts and that uh, I'll zoom into from here, uh, the Rich Eisen Show, is on the Roku uh, channel on the Roku platform. And um, I'm streaming every day. This show is streaming every day. And it's gotten nothing ever since I've, I started moving. I moved to Peacock, obviously, uh, with NBC Sports, and then to Roku. The, the viewership has gone way up because more and more people are, are streaming it. Obviously, the, the Sunday ticket yeah. is being streamed now on YouTube TV. I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving watching YouTube TV, not just for the Sunday package, but the other night, I believe, uh, there was a Monday night game at the same time as a Game 7 in baseball and you could click on um, uh, an offering on YouTube TV to have both of them split on the screen at the same time. I mean, this is the advent of it and the yeah. NFL feeding it. Obviously Peacock is the home of an, of a, of a, a playoff game exclusively this year. So more and more people I think are getting used to streaming things. And obviously that changes the model, the economic model of the business that is playing out in so many different fronts. So if I had to guess, that's what it is. But uh, I, you know, 20 years in, um, the fact that we are, um, uh, we, we have accomplished so many missions that the NFL set out for us to accomplish on its behalf. It's a very prideful day for a lot of us. And the fact that we're here in a, a yet another first, a first game in Frankfurt, Germany, where, you know, there's a lush history from yeah. Um, you know, NFL Europe and <clears throat> the defensive coordinator for the Chiefs here, Steve Spagnuolo, is on the Frankfurt Galaxy staff, you know. And yeah. so there's a this is this is neat. This is awesome. Two huge teams here for another flag plant that I'm, I'm I don't take it for granted, man, that I'm in the booth for another big event for NFL Network that I'm the one that they think of. I'm the one that they put in there. And I I, I take um, immense pride in that, but also a great amount of responsibility that I'm. I'm eager to cash in again. That's cool. Thanks, man. Rich Eisen, thanks so much. And 
good luck on the thanks, next Peter. 20 years. Thanks, huh? man. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks. My thanks to Rich Eisen. Before we continue with part two with Miles Simmons, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back. Miles and I will give you one, two, three, our top candidates for midseason MVP as the NFL finishes with week 10. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. We're back, and Miles, let's each give our one, two, three an MVP. And I figure maybe the best way to do this, if you don't mind, I'll start. I'll give you one, two, and three with a sentence or two on each one. Number one, Patrick Mahomes, quarterback, Kansas City. It's a little bit, most people will say, well, that's kind of a lazy pick. Well, <laughs> I th- and you're going to say, well, geez, they're not, as, they're not as good on offense as they've been in the past. And, and look, I think that Patrick Mahomes basically is paying for the loss of a couple of players. You know, his number one receiver, a wide receiver uh, in 2021, Tyreek Hill, and then his number one receiver in 2022 in Juju Smith-Schuster. And he's waiting for young guys to develop, probably has had a bit of an over-reliance on tight end Travis Kelsey. Um, so I think for them to be 7-2 and two, and coming off a bye and having a tough schedule uh, coming up, I think he's going to keep them in the race for that top seed in the AFC. Number two, C.J. Stroud, quarterback Houston. And look, I know everybody thinks, wow, C.J. Stroud, he's really been good and all that. But really, Houston, they're only five and four and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you know, the Houston Texans won 11 games in the three seasons before drafting C.J. Stroud. This was a bad franchise with no hope at quarterback after Deshaun Watson played one year Then he didn't play another year, and then he got traded. So Deshaun Watson was gone. They needed a quarterback of the future, uh, and they drafted one. They had the second choice. Uh, And when I went there the day after the draft, last spring, I found out that actually C.J. Stroud was their first choice. He's played like it, and the most impressive thing to me of all is that he's the number one quarterback in the NFL against the blitz and i as i wrote in my column this this week what's amazing about that is we were told what a difficult time he would having he would have processing information quickly as a quarterback 
this S2 cognition test got a lot of attention and he obviously had no, has had no problems with that. My number three is Jalen Hurts. I think even though Jalen Hurts has, has had some moments this year where he didn't look like the Jalen Hurts of late season 2022, I think overall he has been absolutely everything that the Eagles paid for when they re-signed him in the offseason. So my number one, Mahomes, number two, Stroud, number three, Jalen Hurts. And look, the one other guy who I thought very seriously about uh, is Jared Goff. And Goff could well be in this top three going down the stretch of this season. Miles, I leave it to you to give me yours. All right. Well, I, it's funny. I mean, I don't have any of my same players on that list, except for the one you just mentioned, which I think is kind of funny, but you know, I think the way that things are going right now, and it's, I think uh, it's almost a negative part of the, how well these players have played in the past, right. With Patrick Mahomes and Jalen hurts, especially last year with hurts, right. Those guys played at such a level and at a standard where I'm like, I'm not seeing that yet. And that's why I don't know if they really are the MVP because I know that they can play better. Maybe that's just me dinging them for something that maybe I shouldn't, but I don't know. That, that's kind of the way I, I view that. And I think Stroud could be elevated to that plane, you know, later on in the season where you're thinking, yeah, if they are going to get a playoff spot, then he's going to be a big reason why. I mean, he's the runaway candidate for offensive rookie of the year right now, and that's pretty clear. And I think D'Amico Ryans right now is the runaway candidate for coach of the year. But when it comes to MVP, I, I struggle at the halfway point this year because it's like you can go with so many different guys because there's no team that is just far and away so much better than everybody else. So to finally answer the question that you posed to me, I think my MVP right now is probably – AJ Brown, because I think he's been that dominant for what is the best team in the national football league. And so you go AJ Brown, and I know that no wide receivers ever won it before. And yet Tyreek Hill, there's a part of him that has some, a little bit better numbers, but it's just the sheer dominance that AJ Brown had, especially over that course of the stretch where he had at least 125 yards per game and set an NFL record for consecutive games doing that. I don't know that anybody's playing better at their position right now than A.J. Brown, and I say that with all yeah. due respect to Tyreek Hill, to C.D. Lamb, you know, and Justin Jefferson, when he comes back, I know he'll be a part of that mix too. But that, that would probably be my number one. Number two, I would go with Jared Goff because I think the way he's playing right now, especially in the NFC, I think he's been the best quarterback in the conference so far this year. And there's a long way to go yeah. and things could change. And, you know, it depends on if Detroit's defense is going to get itself together because you know, that performance that they had against the Chargers and, yeah, the Chargers have Justin quarterback, excuse me, Justin Herbert at quarterback, and he did look special on Sunday where he has not looked special a lot of times this year. That's one thing. But Goff has been really, really good for the Detroit Lions. Let's call it over the last calendar year. You know, they finished 8-2 and two down the stretch. He was a huge part of that. And I think the way that he's been playing, he's not really turning the ball over. He's getting the ball to these explosive guys that he's got. That touch pass that he made toward the end of the game um, yesterday 
was really, really outstanding. And I've yeah. watched Jared Goff make a lot of throws. He's, you know, that, that's one of the better games that he's ever played, I, I think. So he's my number two right now. And number three, I'm going to go off the wall a little bit and choose a defensive player. And that's Miles Garrett. Because I think that the Browns defense has shown that they're capable of playing with anybody. And, you know, even in instances where the defense has given up some yards and everything, Miles Garrett influences and affects every single play that he's out there. And despite the fact that sometimes he is, you know, double teamed and all that, it was a stretch of plays during late in the third quarter of that game that they played against Baltimore on Sunday, where he gets a half sack on one play and another sack on the next play. And it should have been the time where the Browns could then get the punt, go down the field and score. But then of course the punt return muffs the thing and the Ravens get it back and then they go up by 14 and the Browns end up winning that game still though, because miles Garrett leads that defense into doing what he's done. So miles Garrett joined one of these very, very exclusive clubs. I think he's become the seventh player in the history of the league to have six straight seasons of at least 10 sacks, which is unbelievable. Like we're talking about some of the best defensive players in NFL history to do that. Lawrence Taylor, Reggie white, Jared Allen. I can't quite remember everybody's name off the top of my head, but, if we're talking about that and Miles Garrett leading this Browns team that is now six and three, and frankly, a bit of a surprising six and three to me, somebody's got to be one of the biggest reasons why. And I think it's Miles Garrett. You know, I always enjoy when people consider the most valuable player and think of players at other positions. It should not just be a quarterback award, but. <clears throat> I was on a Philadelphia talk show recently and the host said to me that he strongly favored, this maybe two weeks ago, and he strongly favored A.J. Brown for MVP. And he said, you're a voter. What do you think? If he continues on this path, does he have a shot? I said, of course he has a shot. Uh, he's having a transcendent season. Uh, and he may have one of the best years a wide receiver ever had. I said, but I would ask you this question. When the Eagles play this Sunday, if I told you that one player on your offense was going to be eliminated and could not play, and the player was either A.J. Brown or Jalen Hurts, who do you think you'd have a better chance of surviving this game and winning without. And I said, that's not A.J. Brown's fault because I think that you're probably going to say, well, we'd have a better chance to win if Jalen Hurts played. So I would choose to have A.J. Brown out for the game. And, and so, and unfortunately, the name of the award is most valuable player. The name of the award is not most outstanding player because... I would, I see that argument. A.J. Brown's having a better year at his position than Jalen Hurts is having at his position, even though Jalen Hurts is having a good year. And so I get it. And I understand why people look at this award and say, why don't you just call it the most valuable quarterback or the, the best quarterback award? I feel bad for that. But until they change the name of the award, I don't know how it, somebody is going to have to have 
an incredible year. And, and again, you know, 10 years ago when uh, Adrian Peterson was coming off uh, torn ACL and came out and ran for 2,000 yards and the Vikings were a lot better than we thought, I remember having not an argument but a discussion with Peyton Manning who just had an incredible year. But having a discussion with Peyton Manning saying that here's why I think that that Adrian Peterson this year deserves it. And look, you know, there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. And so many players in the NFL, particularly Miles Garrett, I watched a lot of that game yesterday. I had two screens on. I had the 49ers, uh, Jaguars on one, and I had the... Uh, uh, the Browns uh, and the Ravens on the other one for much of that first window. And I just thought, Miles Garrett is a gigantic problem every snap. And so anyway, I empathize with your thought and I get it. I just don't agree but I'm with wrong. it. But I get it <laughs> a lot. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, okay. Let's go into a little bit about my conversation this week with C.J. Stroud, okay? And I'll tell you, one of the things that I really like about C.J. Stroud is that he never got the memo when he walked into Houston that, oh yeah, this year you're just going to learn how to play the position and you're going to get used to life in the NFL, You're not going to win this year. And then next year, we're going to expect to start being a contender. Never got the memo. He walked in there and he said, hey, we got a lot of good players here. We got the best defensive player, Will Anderson, in the draft. We got Stingley at corner. We got this guy. Whatever. He goes through all these guys who they got on their team. He's all excited about. He goes, we're going to win a lot of games. Okay. All right, kid. Go over and sit in the corner and we'll see what happens when the games start. You know, but Miles, that is how traditions begin. That is how schneids get broken. And that is how a franchise that won only 11 games in the last three years starts winning again. Not in 2024, but in 2023. And that's the same sort of conversation I had with him after they go to Cincinnati and win that game. As he said to me, there was never a time that day where I didn't think we were going to win. He said, even when I almost blew it. (laughs) You know, he threw an interception late when they're trying to protect a 10-point lead. But I don't know. You have watched football for a long time, as I have. And what do you see when you look at this guy? I don't see a rookie quarterback. I'll tell you that. I mean, it, it's really unbelievable yeah, how great. well he's played, you know, and, and you go back to uh, what was 2011 where it's Cam Newton and then Andrew Luck. And I guess it was right after. And it's like, well, those guys kind of set that gold standard for what we believe a rookie quarterback can come in and do. And it's just different with CJ. I mean, he is right now, on that same plan as both of those guys in terms of most outstanding rookie season we've seen from a quarterback, but he's putting the Houston Texans in the playoff conversation. And, you know, 
I am one of those people that yeah. am like a big believer in the Cincinnati Bengals. And I just felt like, you know, the way that things were going for them, they've gotten some stuff figured out. Yeah, they're dealing with some injuries. You know, T. Higgins wasn't playing and all that. But they're the Bengals, right? They've been in these situations before. They've started season slow. They've gotten themselves going. And when they start going, they don't really stop. And that's the kind of game that I figured would happen in Cincinnati. You know, Luan Rumo going up against your rookie quarterback. They're going to have those dudes ready. Joe Burrow's going to be able to make the plays that he needs to make. And frankly, they probably should have been able to if Tyler Boyd catches the ball. But, you know, the game's not really won and lost on one play. But I just did not anticipate C.J. Stroud going into that game and being as good as he was and making those plays, continuing to, especially in crunch time. I mean, when have we seen a quarterback as a rookie come in and just make the plays in crunch time like this? They should have won one or two more games based on what he's done if the defense could just stop other teams, right, at the end of the game. I mean, it's been unbelievable. Yeah, right. I, I think he's a top 10 quarterback right now. I mean, I don't know if there are very many QBs that you would take ahead of him if you're saying, I'm starting a franchise today and who do I want? You know, Patrick Mahomes, obviously, Jalen Hurts. Yeah, Joe Burrow, probably up there too. Josh Allen, we got to insert him in there. But then, I mean, based on the way C.J. Stroud don't turn the ball over and Josh Allen kind of does, I mean, maybe you're having an argument there. I don't know. But it's just, it's, it's extremely impressive what Stroud has been able to do and in that offense and the way that they've um, brought him up and, and tutored him and mentored him. I've, I couldn't be more impressed. Yeah, I I think one of the things that happens sometimes is that it's like Aaron Rodgers and his injury. Well, nobody's ever done this before, so it can't be done. And again, I'm not saying that Aaron Rodgers is going to be ready to play in 10 minutes or 10 months. I don't know. But let's let's just if you know, let's just see what happens. I guess my point is, and that's why I think CJ Stroud thinks a lot of these especially like, C.J. Stroud doesn't say this, but I think he looks at the sports media and especially as it covered the S2 cognition test, just as they were crazy. You know, that I can't play football because I flunked this S2 cognition test. Did you see me put up 370 yards on Georgia, the best defense in recent college history? Did you see me strafe Michigan twice, strafe Michigan State? I mean, you know, so so again, I think sometimes we need to say, well, let's just see what happens. Miles, Mm -hmm. two quick points about the Patriots. What would you do right now with Mac Jones? Oh, God. (laughs) Well, I don't think I would have benched him for the last series. I would have given him a chance to, to redeem himself, but I mean... After you do that, I mean, how do you not go to Bailey Zappi for at least this next game? And maybe you're playing the same game that uh, Arthur Smith is playing with Desmond Ritter and Taylor Heineke where it's, you know, musical chairs. But I, you're not in a good situation, Peter. What would you do? I would play Bailey Zappi, not because I like him. I don't think Bailey Zappi is the answer to any question other than who's a good third-string quarterback. Um, but the reason I play Bailey Zappi is that I thought watching Mac Jones, 
I think there was a direct correlation with Bill O'Brien reaming him out on the sidelines and how he played. I think he played nervous. I think he almost played like he had the yips. That ball that he threw to Mike Gesicki under zero pressure, he had all the time to make that throw. Throwing off his back foot and throwing it, Mike Gesicki was, the target was about 26 yards from where he was going to throw, and he threw the ball 21 yards down the field. It was a terrible, terrible throw. And when you're not under pressure and you make a throw like that, insanity. And so I think it was time for him to go. I think he needs to sit for a while. Everybody said, well, that's the end of Mac Jones. I don't think so. Why is it that you can never bench a quarterback? Why is it that the New York Jets are afraid of benching Zach Wilson? I mean, this is reality, man. We are in a performance business. You know, if I'm no good at NBC, they're going to say, there's the door. Don't let it hit you on the way out. Love you. Here's the gold watch. I'm not, I mean, they're going to be great about it, but you know what I mean. You know, they move on. Life, life moves on, man. You know, you just gotta, you just gotta be ready for it. And Zach Wilson, I'm sure looks at this and says, if he got called into the office right now and got benched, I'm sure he wouldn't be surprised. And I bet it would be the weight of the world off his shoulders. Okay. I want to ask you one other thing about the Patriots and one last question. Where do you think we're going to see Bill Belichick, if anywhere, coach in 2024? See, it's interesting that you put the word coach in there because, I mean, otherwise my answer might be ESPN or NFL Network. But I I guess Washington, perhaps, is a place that comes to mind because it would give that team that instant credibility and that instant cachet, the panache, whatever you want to call it. Um, of having him as a coach, potentially the Giants, although I don't know that I would really want to make that change. I mean, just based on the history that Bill Belichick has with that team, that's one that is just going to stick with me in my mind until it, it wouldn't happen. But I, Peter, I, I hate to see Bill Belichick go out this way. And I, you know, people have their opinions on Belichick and whatever, but I just, I love greatness and I appreciate greatness. And when you see, a coach who has been so great for so long. And yes, Tom Brady had so much to do with that, but let's not act like one was there without the other being great with new England, right? They they had a partnership and it worked for so many years, but it's not working anymore. And between the personnel decisions, some of the coaching decisions that have been made, especially last year with the offense, I I don't, I just, I don't understand what's going on. Like they're not fielding a punt returner when they're going after a punt. Like what, why? And it's the middle of the game. It's not at the end of it where you have to, have to, have to block the punt. I I, I just, those are the things that I'm looking at. And I'm like, I don't, I, I don't know that you should be doing this anymore. And like, far be it for me to say that about such a legend in Bill Belichick, but that's, it bugs me. It, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, you know I what was interesting? Hey, Miles. Miles, I'll tell you one thing that was interesting about that. So for the first half of the Sunday morning game, every Sunday that I'm home in Brooklyn, I take my, wa- my dog, Chuck, 
on a three and a half mile walk up into this huge park in Brooklyn, Prospect Park. Mm-hmm. And and usually I listen to either a podcast or listen to nothing. And I said, hey, I'll go at exactly 930 and I'll listen to the first half of the game. So that's basically what I did. And so I had never heard the Patriots radio network before. Um, and the color guy is a guy named Scott Zolak, who used to be a quarterback for the Patriots a long time ago. And he's an acerbic uh, guy, an opinionated guy. And he has no problem with saying what a dumb call that was and things like that. So I quoted him in my column this week. And I basically said, after that play that you're talking about, where the Patriots did not put a punt returner out after that play, where uh, Scott Zolak said, my God, what are we doing? I mean, this is ridiculous. And they came back from break, and he said that Mike Mayock was in the next booth doing the game on Westwood One back to the United States, doing radio of the game. And he said Mayock looked over, and I forget what his exact quote was, but it was something like, Mayock's looking over at me saying, are you kidding me? What just happened out there? And so nobody could figure it out. It was totally ridiculous. So punt bounces, they get a 69-yard punt. I don't know. Maybe Belichick is figuring our offense is doing nothing. Let's try to hit the lottery and block a punt. Maybe. I get it. But, man, that really looked dumb. Here's my last question, Miles. Watched a lot of the Niners, and I think they're back. But I think they're back with an asterisk. When you watch the San Francisco 49ers, you realize that if they, the, you know, because the last two, three weeks, they have been without Trent Williams. They have been without Debo Samuel, both of whom were injured. They both come back. This is a different team. Now, yes. I'm not saying they wouldn't have won without those two guys because they won 34 to three. But I think of all the teams in the NFL, I might argue that the 49ers being in peak form, in peak health, without having major injuries, they might be the team that that matters most to. When you looked at the 49ers this weekend, breaking a three-game losing streak in which they scored 17 points in each loss, and they go out with Debo, with Trent Williams, and they score 34, what do you see? Well, I always say that Trent Williams is almost like having an extra skill player on the field because of how good he is. But then, I mean, it's like you said, you you have your full complement with Debo Samuel, with Christian McCaffrey, who didn't score a touchdown and they tried to get him. And, you know, George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk and the chemistry that Ayuk and Brock Purdy have, I, I think is really, really incredible. I mean, what you see on that, pass that that first touchdown that Brock Purdy had where he's throwing it across his body and Kyle Shanahan takes time out of his press conference to say that's one of the worst decisions he's made since he's been here which I found fascinating and I kind of agree but when it works out it's like hey you know at least you got seven points out of it but I think when you look at the 49ers we were having the conversation earlier about you know quarterbacks and what the value is it's one of the more interesting things where what if Brock Purdy got hurt is that more detrimental to the 49ers than a Trent Williams getting hurt, right? Or a Debo Samuel being removed from that offense. I, I don't really have that much faith in Sam Darnold based on what I've seen in his career. But I mean, look, last year, 
they go from Trey Lance to Jimmy Garoppolo to Brock Purdy, and they still make it to the NFC Championship game. It's one of those interesting teams that I, I'll just say yeah, they're not really based around the quarterback. They're based on like what can that offense do and how can the defense kick your ass so that you are so <laughs> outmatched that you just can't really do anything yeah, else. And yeah. that's exactly what they did to the Jags. I mean, they just dominated them from cover to cover. And, you know, I, I don't want to, I, when I feel like when I say that I'm like dissing Brock Purdy and I'm really not trying to do that as I think Brock Purdy is probably the best quarterback that Kyle Shanahan's had since he's been with the San Francisco 49ers. But I, it's, it's just one of those deals where you understand that what they do is so predicated on the system and the guys that they have in that system around Brock Purdy. Yeah. That, that's what makes them so dangerous. I think by the end of this year, I just have this hope. I don't know what's going to happen this year. But my hope is by the end of this year, people will see Brock Purdy as a very good football player and not a guy. And I do think that more convincing needs to be done. Absolutely. But I hope people see him as a good football player and not just a guy who can plug and play in Kyle Shanahan's system. And look, every quarterback who's ever played for Kyle Shanahan has benefited massively. You see it now with Jimmy Garoppolo, obviously. But but I, I just would say that, man, I think Brock Purdy's pretty damn good. And one of the reasons I think that is that remember the famous play in the Super Bowl, San Francisco, Kansas City, is when um, uh, Jimmy Garoppolo overthrew, I'm drawing a blank. Emmanuel he overthrew Sanders. a wide receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, yep. He overthrew Emmanuel Sanders. And if he doesn't overthrow him, if he hits Emmanuel Sanders, the 49ers probably win that Super Bowl. He didn't. And and again, quarterbacks overthrow guys and underthrow guys all the time. That shouldn't be on Jimmy Garoppolo's tombstone. But my belief, my belief is that if Brock Purdy were playing in that game that day, maybe he either over or underthrows Emmanuel Sanders, but... I think he would have made more plays in that game than Jimmy Garoppolo made, I think. And I do think they would have had a better chance to win the game because I think that Brock Purdy, no matter who the coach is, is a better quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo because his yards per attempt, his ability to throw the ball downfield effectively, in my opinion, is far better than Garoppolo. And I think it's better than probably a half to 60% at least of the starting quarterbacks in the NFL. So we'll see. I have put my feelings out there about Brock Purdy and what I think. I think he's really good. I don't have a lot of people who join me in saying that at least right now. I understand it. So I think we're going to see by the end of the year whether Brock Purdy can live up to the Peter King standard. <laughs> so that'll be something that you and I will check in on. And, 
you might be able to shake your head in week 18 and say, Peter, Peter, Peter. <laughs> I told you that Brock Purdy basically is a system guy and he's not going to win games. Uh, you know, he's going to need to be in a great system. So we shall see. Miles Simmons, we've prattled on long enough. I hope we haven't put anybody or at least many people to sleep. Uh, but it was great being with you again this week. And we're going to be back next week with a pre-Thanksgiving podcast. And Miles, we're going to have to be exciting next week. You want to know why? Because millions upon millions of people are going to get in cars nationwide on Wednesday. And they're going to say, hey, kids, on the way to grandma's house, what would you like to listen to? On the radio. And Johnny and Sally and Susie are going to be sitting in the back seat. And in unison, they're going to scream, let's listen to the Peter King podcast with Peter and Miles Simmons. So, Miles, next week, I know we bring it every week, but next week, it's a big week because we're going to have 17 million people listening to our podcast next week. So... Get ready, bring your A-game, and I will bring the popcorn. Miles Simmons, thanks so much for your help, as always. And thanks to all you listeners, viewers, experiencers who make this Peter King podcast so much fun to do every week. Have a great week, everyone. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.